Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. We're your host, Bill Cooper. And Hunter Heineman. Hey, Hunter, good to hear your voice, man. We're always doing this stuff re- remotely. You're such a busy cat, you know. You're out there selling uh, the good old real estate, staying busy, even in the hot weather, I bet. Yeah, yeah, the market is still uh, going strong, and we are uh, still um, plugging along and selling quite a few farms. And uh, just past week, I had a, a pretty good week with quite a few that went under contract. So, yeah, it's even though it's hot, people are still uh, looking to buy these unique um, high-end properties that uh, we're dealing with. Well, that's awesome. Well, I would think, boy, with this drought that's going on, the hot weather that's going on, that people would certainly be looking for a uh, hey, creek and riverside properties <laughs> or lake properties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the summertime is a great time for people to uh, get out and look at those ones that have some sort of a water feature. It seems like every you know, spring and, and summer, uh, if one of those hits the market, people really flock to those. Um, although really anything with a river or a nice lake on it tends to get a lot of activity, no matter what time of the year it is, there's not really any specific, uh, <laughs> like really peak time in the land market. Um, maybe spring and summer being a little busier, but, uh, really we're pretty busy throughout the year with land no matter what because their buyers know what they're kind of getting into in the first place and they enjoy being outside anyways whether it's hot or cold or dry or whatever (laughs) i bet that's true but uh i see all the time you guys post you know just gorgeous properties and of course i I, i'm too old we think about buying anything else but uh i do enjoy watching those uh, creek and river and lake properties come up you know because boy a lot of them are just absolutely gorgeous and just out of curiosity often wonder you know do you get into bidding wars over over some of those properties along water like that yeah yeah that has happened before for sure um i've had some right over here by where i live east of steelville um i had one last summer had a really nice creek on it, um, an electric, and uh, was priced pretty pretty good. And um, everybody that was coming in the door could see that value and maybe even a little bit more. So uh, that one ended up with about uh, six offers on it or something like that all at one time. Wow. And for well over list price. And actually, you know, that's funny you mentioned that. There's uh, another – um, property that I just dealt with a couple of days ago. It doesn't have any water feature though. Uh, highly income producing agricultural farm though. Oh. Um, in Lincoln County. And, uh, that one went, uh, for well over ask price too, and ended up having like three offers on it. So, um, yeah, so it's just, it's just 
depends on each property, but the ones with water typically get a lot of phone calls and, and activity and, and people coming to look. Well, that's, I'm sure that's the kind of situation you like to run into because, that, hey, that makes the job a lot easier. I think you you guys would probably uh, love buyers like my wife. You know, we bought a place through you guys last fall. My wife walked in and looked at the house and the property that went with it, and she wasn't there two minutes. She said, I want this house. And I said, okay, we'll make them an offer. She said, no, give them what they're asking. We were the first ones yeah. to look at it, I think. And she didn't want to take a chance on somebody out bedding her, you know. She'd nail it down now, you know. Yep. So you guys, yep. took, yeah, you guys took care of that uh, that business uh, uh, very quickly, man. She was tickle pink, and, of course, Mama's happy as everybody's happy, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> well, Hunter, in this extreme drought we're in right now, and, and uh, all the rivers and creeks are pretty low besides work. What, what are you doing to get out and uh, – Cool off and enjoy yourself a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I um, have recently gotten a boat. Uh, really? Not a, not, yeah, it's not a fishing boat. I got it early this year, but um, <laughs> it's a wakeboarding boat, and I have a couple friends that we like to go down to Bull Shoal Lake, and uh, we were just there this last weekend, and we were on that lake um, all hanging out and just having a good time, and um, it was, it was fun. We, we just kind of either drove around in the boat or wakeboarded or, um, just swam in the water. That's about all you can do when it's this hot and dry. Um, or on certain days, you know, if I get off work early, which seems less and less anymore, I'll go, uh, <laughs> I'll go, uh, back, you know, just to my farm and might be four o'clock and I might go sit down by the river and bring my little ultralight fishing pole and kind of either sit there in a fishing hole or walk up and down till I get tired of fishing and then hop in the creek. So, <laughs> Hey, uh, I, I'm a big promoter of, uh, wade fishing. You know, I love to do that any time of year, really, but summertime's extra special, you know, because Hey, you can get in chin deep and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. The wintertime, it's a little different, different story. But, uh, man, yeah, I've been getting out and enjoying some fly fishing. We're right in the middle of what we call hopper season, you know, for the fly fishermen, man, because uh, uh, trout, bass, both are keying in on those terrestrials, you know, the grasshoppers, crickets, ants, anything like that that falls into the water. You know, it's it's fish bait. So I've had a good time on, on the fly rod. And, hey, I, I'm not that far from Merrimack Spring Park, one of the four trout parks here in the state of Missouri, and I love to go down, particularly uh, – in the afternoon, a lot of times I go late in the afternoon, like it's 3 or 4 o'clock, you know, and it's still pretty hot. But, uh, hey, I uh, forgo the waders, you know, don't wear the waders and just wade right in. And, boy, that cold spring water <laughs> really feels good. I'm not sure I'm uh, not going just to wade in the cold water. But it's fun uh, late in the evening down towards dark. Man, a lot of times there are a lot of bug hatches come off, and uh, it's great fun to uh, – uh, catch a yeah. trout on a light fly rod, you know, and a little trick I learned last year, you know, I love the bluegill fish too, and I've always got a bunch of little small poppers around these little foam spiders, you know, to use for bluegill. I discovered mm-hmm. last summer, they work great on trout too, man. Really? Yeah. I, I kind of chuckled last summer. The first time I tried that, I put on a little pink rubber spider, white rubber legs on it. As soon as it hit the water, first cast caught a fish. So that, that was a good so start. 
<laughs> when you cast that in there, does it just float on top of the water? Or does it sink down? No, these little foam spiders float high, really float high on on uh, on the water, and I, I guess uh, they create quite a silhouette, and it's easier for fish to see them. Of course, they're they're keyed in uh, to the surface this time of the year, you know, particularly early in the morning, and late in the evening. So, yep. great way to yep. go. So, <clears throat> when I was down at the lake, there it was it was one day almost a hundred degrees, and <clears throat> there was all these uh, little mayfly bugs on the docks and stuff, and I. I think that's what they were, and I was seeing them. And uh, anyways, walking on the marina dock and look down and see a bunch of fish. Well, I started picking them off the dock and throwing them in for the fish, <laughs> and they were all just sitting like right under there in the shade towards the top bass, bluegill, carp, yeah. everything. They were waiting for whatever would fall in the water <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, they're great. Uh, and speaking of these spiders, man, I love. Uh, using even a big, big grasshopper pattern. I mean, this thing is two, three inches long. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have all kinds of topwater baits like that now. They got, like, the like a mouse. Oh, uh, yeah. Frogs. yeah. They've got the dragonflies. I've seen those. And then the spiders. <laughs> Pretty crazy. I've even seen a duck topwater bait, little baby duck. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've I've seen that too. I, I tell you, some of these lure inventors, you know, they got quite the imagination. But I'm, you know, me, I've got thousands of lures and more thousands of flies. But it would come down to it, man. It seemed like you used the same half dozen baits or flies over and over and over all the time, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, the old reliables, and I, I still like to chuck those uh, dry flies too. You know, I use some of the old, old patterns like the Royal Wolf, and the Adams are real popular. They kind of imitate a mosquito, and, boy, they're they're deadly at topwater flies as well. But even, you know, if the topwater bite, sometimes it it, uh, it may be hot for 30 minutes or an hour, and then it, it kind of uh, goes away. But all you got to do is, you know, switch your, <clears throat> switch your flying – Put tie on something that's sinking just a little bit because you know trout, in particular, man, they they feed eighty percent of the feeding they do is in that film surface right below the top of the water. So if you get something, it'll drift down into that surface and and kind of pay attention, you know, to the hatches that are taking place. I know I like to use a teeny tiny little black ant imitation. I'm talking about size 20 or 22. These are dinky little things. And sometimes those things just drifting along in that film of the surface uh, trout, uh, they can see them. They got great eyes and uh, they they just kind of suck those things in. And the hardest part about fishing like that is the fact that, uh, Sometimes they'll try to sip that fly in, and they can spit it out before you, you even have time to set the hook. You've got to be pretty quick. I learned that lesson down on Tanny Como four or five years ago. Fishing a number 24 fly called a Rainbow Warrior. It's kind of blues and greens and reds and uh, shows up really well, but had a really great fly fishing guide and was coming up on about 300 yards of pea gravel, and he told me to get ready. I was going to get hit every every drift and first drift he said why didn't you set the hook i said what are you talking about he said you got hit three times on that that drift <laughs> yeah I was fishing just a little bitty 
bobber floats, you know, and and if it would just tick a little bit, he told me, he said, man, that, that's a hitch. you got to try to set the hook. Well, I started trying to set the hook, and it took me 10 or 15 minutes to hook that first fish because they would spit those little flies out just that quickly. But I finally got mm-hmm. onto it, caught a lot of fish, caught a lot of fish, man. Yeah, the, the, uh, I haven't really used a whole lot of those, but I have used, like, topwater frogs late when it gets real hot and uh there's not as much bait but there's a lot of stuff on top of the water and i've used them before and i feel like they're (laughs) they're kind of the opposite because they're rigged to be weedless the fish has to bite down on it and then you set the hook well if you set the hook too early you just (laughs) yank it out of its mouth unless it's a really big fish but then you do tend to seem like catch a little bit bigger fish uh, oh, on those, do. but, uh, but yeah, so it seems like it's kind of the opposite with those, with that type of a bait, you almost have to watch them hit it and explode. And then you'll see them kind of tighten that line up a little bit. And that's when you, you set the hook and you should be able to get them right in the top lip. Oh yeah. That, those are great baits. They come a long way since, uh, gosh, since I started using them way back in the sixties, my dad ordered some little fat hard-bodied frogs from outdoor life that had just little rubber legs on them that folded up and you jig that frog and those legs would kick he caught some huge bass on those things don't problem with those the little legs would rot off pretty quickly but today's bait they're going to last for a while but i saw a real interesting youtube video just a couple hours ago i was watching a young man he was talking about fishing frogs and he was giving great tips on how to uh how to improve your frog well you know you pay seven, eight, nine dollars a bait for those things. And first thing he did was got a pair of pliers and he said, you need to, those hooks back there so tight on the plastic of the frog, you take and bend them up a little bit. And then he said, take and throw it in a pot of water and boil it for about 30 minutes, you know, and it kind of softens it up. And then you put some baking soda or something in it to put calcium on top of it would make it all better. And he said, boy, it's just a great bait. And he said, now once you go through all this process, he said, next thing you do is to take that frog and throw it away and get yourself a, a, a buzz bait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I do like buzz bait for sure. Uh, hey, they're hard, hard to beat, but hey man, this, this drought, uh, is, uh, dropping the rivers fast but uh people gonna get out and fish uh, hey get out early in the morning on the rivers whether you're in a jet boat canoe kayak whatever and uh, throw those buzz baits and uh, something i learned a little trick uh, decades ago take that buzz bait and put a trailer hook on it you know yeah uh, yeah and your hookup uh, ratio will go up uh, considerably but nothing more fun than listening to a big smallmouth explode on a buzz bait early in the morning well hunter man it's been mm-hmm. fun talking to you i bet you're going to take off and go fishing now i still got more work to do but uh, <laughs> folks don't go away in this uh, second part of the program we're going to have on uh, aaron jeffries the deputy director of the missouri department of conservation and he's got some great information Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent, 
or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Hi, guys. Rick Davis at Cowtown USA. Here from Cowtown USA Superstore these days. And, and you might say, what do you mean, Rick, Superstore? Well... Pretty much whatever you want to do outside, we sell, we service, and we service everything we do sell. We've got, uh, for this year, new lines of tractors. The slogan is selling you red tractors, saving you some green cash. We've got Yanmar tractors uh, that are coming out of Houston. we got uh, Mahinda tractors that are coming out of Georgia. We've got all the equipment as far as tillers, rakes, buckets, Cutters, we've got it all to go with them. We've got some great financing. I know financing stupid now, but the manufacturers are offering some zero interest and some rebates, you know, so there's some choices to be made in there. We've got Can-Am, ATVs, UTVs, and, and that's as low as 1.99. Then we've got the Can-Am Spiders out there for you. We've got Can-Am Rikers. We first started doing Can-Am 25 years ago. Nobody had ever heard of them. Now everybody understands that they are the best equipment on the market. We've got that, and for the first time in a couple of years, we have got some choices for you. So, but but that won't stay that way. If you want something for this spring and something that you want to ride this summer and this fall, you need to get to Cowtown USA. That's for sure. Then we've got uh, the the marine side of this. We picked up Mercury. We picked up Suzuki. We've been Legend SS for 25 years, which in my opinion is one of the best aluminum uh, jet boats on the market. We picked up Blazer boats the other day, another all welded boat. We've got some of those in inventory as well. And, And here now for the sixth year in a row, we are Missouri's number one horse trader dealer. We are Murhouse number one horse trader dealer nationwide. But we've got Murhow, we've got Lakota, we've got Calico, we've got Bayos flatbed trailers. I mean, guys, we pretty much are, well, the sign says Superstore. So you can come here and shop. Whatever you want to do, we can do. Uh, So give us a call here at Cowtown, 573-885-6300. CowtownUSAINC.com is our website. But give us a call at 573-885-6300. Thank you. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper, and I'm delighted to say I have on the program with me right now Mr. Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Aaron, man, it's good to talk to you again. We don't get to talk a whole lot these days. <laughs> I know, Bill. It's good to hear from you. was uh, actually down your way uh, the other day and was thinking about you. Well, you should have stopped by. You know, we uh, I live in the southwest corner of Cuba, 
And I had a bear right across the street over at the ballpark the other day. I didn't get to see it, but, of course, everybody in town was talking about it. Pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no surprise. I mean, the bear population is growing across southern Missouri. Uh, there's kind of that heavily, heavily forested corridor that comes up through Crawford, Washington, Iron County, up towards St. Louis. Uh, and, you know, really at this time of the year, uh, this is when mama bears kicked out the cubs, especially <laughs> the young males. And they're out looking for uh, looking for food, looking for a place to live, and looking for a lady friend. And they seem, seem to get in trouble at this time of year from time to time. So, well, it's always exciting stuff, you know. And it seems like we are seeing more and more bears in this area. Or are hearing about sightings, you know, and everybody always gets excited about. It. I know I do, and I like I like to see another bear. The only bear I've seen in Missouri was down on Eleven Point River several years ago. Uh, during our fishing and hunting camp, my wife had uh, down there together. We had quite a good time. We saw this bear on the first evening. It was across the river, and I was cooking fish, and uh, my wife wasn't real excited about that. In fact, she didn't sleep all week. It was a long week. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had something wake us up every night. In fact, about 2 o'clock that morning, she woke me up. That bear's coming across the river. It was three otters playing in the river, and then it was coons getting in stuff. But the funniest one, oh, you'll die laughing at this one. The last night we were there, it was real dry, and there were a lot of big sycamore leaves, and we are something walking walking in the leaves, it, it sounded like an elephant, you know, and she just knew that bear's right outside the tent. But I got my flashlight, and it was actually a white-footed deer mouse running through the leaves. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he, wow. he, he sounded huge. But speaking of bears, uh, Aaron, I guess, uh, hey, we're going to find out here not uh, in just the next few weeks, I guess, who drew the bear tags. That's always exciting time of year. Yeah, I mean, we already know. I mean, the sure. the the sign up period was uh you know May first through the end of May and you know, we already have that picked out. But you know, it's just wonderful to know that, you know, folks are still interested, still seeing a lot of interest in the, the bear season, the elk season. Um and you know, this is just a, a great time of the year, uh, to get out on the rivers as well. Oh, it, it it really is, and and of course, gosh, uh, I've been down uh, Peck Ranch, not too far from me, you know, like an hour, hour and a half south. I have to run down there several times a year just to look at the elk, but I encourage people, you know, it's not that far, far away here. We're getting up uh, close to July, and, and uh, by September, you know, those elk will start bugling again. Late August, I've heard them in the middle of August, but I have to go down there every year just to listen to those elk. And you get a big bull screaming, and it's uh, it's quite an outdoor experience. You know, I've been out west a few times, and and uh, but I got to tell you, I've heard more elk bugle in uh, southern Missouri there on Peck Ranch than I have out west, because of course they're more concentrated there. But uh, that's quite a, a a tourist attraction anymore, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, down there in Carter Shannon Riddles County, pretty remote part of the state, um, elk herds doing just fine, not growing at a a super rate, but they're staying right there in those three counties. And, you know, after Labor Day, things really start to slow down. And uh, what what the elk herd has brought is brought in a little extra tourism uh, in the uh, September, October period for people to go down and, and, and try to see the elk, but also just realize how beautiful it is throughout the Ozarks and just a lot of things to do down there. Oh, there really is. But that, that elk uh, situation has become one of my – Favorite things to go check on once in a while, and I, and I was pretty fortunate a couple of years ago. I was just down. Of course, I always carry a 
camera with a long lens and video camera as well. And boy, I was fortunate enough. Uh, right there, the main road that goes through Peck, I heard a uh, elk bugle up on the hillside. So I drove on up the road and kind of got set up with my video camera. And I was lucky enough, here come four or five cows down off the hill and a big bull right behind them. And boy, he posed perfectly for pictures and video. Made me pretty happy, you know. So that was quite an experience. And I quite often take other people with me too. And people are always shocked at the sound that the that an elk make I, I guess I don't know what we expect but I, I don't I didn't first expect that loud squeal you know and the huffing that they do and all that sort of thing but uh, to see it firsthand and up close it's pretty exciting <laughs> absolutely I got a question for you Bill you seen any turkey poults yet I have not, and I've been asking asking around, and a few people have have seen them. Now I'll take that back. I, I did see one group uh, back earlier, and it looked like uh, I don't know. It's hard to t- tell sometimes in the weeds, but it looked like eight, ten, or twelve uh, poults. But what are you hearing from across the state? I'm hearing some good reports from from staff, from folks. I've seen my first brood of the year already, and. You know, it's just, it's been extremely dry. Everybody knows that. So that should really have the makeup for a, a good hatch this year. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard, heard some good reports around. I don't get out and about as much as I used to, but I still talk to a lot of people, you know, and it's, is encouraging boy to hear, uh, about having some better broods because we know turkeys have been in decline some uh, in the last uh, couple of decades across the country, not just in Missouri, but we're still holding our own, man. Uh, I I talked to people, and I'm sure you did too, after a spring turkey season. Um, Ralph Duren, for example, said that uh, he'd heard more gobbles this year than he thought he had ever heard. Now, that's encouraging. uh, Yeah, yeah. I I heard quite a few gobbles too, but I, I had kind of a little ill spell during uh, turkey season didn't get out as much as i usually do but uh, boy uh, you know my old heart uh, sometimes i think it's going to give out during turkey season because i get i still get pretty excited <laughs> i had five gobblers on the roost one morning just going crazy you know and and i thought boy this this is going to be one of the easiest turkey hunts i ever had but you know how those turkeys abuse you man uh, they gobbled quite a bit on the roost and uh, i i Oh, hen yelped at them a few times, some soft tree yelps, and played with them a little bit. But I didn't think I overdid it, you know. I just enjoyed myself. But I shut up for a while, and I thought, well, they're going to fly down and come right to me. I heard them fly off the roost. I was only 900 yards from them. But uh, you know how it goes sometimes. The next time they gobbled, they were 100 yards the other way and leaving fast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, hopefully uh, folks are – taking advantage of the weather and looking at doing some habitat work on their property. I mean, ultimately, I mean, yeah, habitat is key, uh, for our ground nesters and and deer for that matter. So anything you can do to neutralize predators or bad weather is, is, is a plus plus. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a dedicated quail hunter and I do a lot of habitat work on the farms that I get the quail hunt and turkey hunt on. And, um, the results speak for themselves, so would really encourage folks to get out and work with the private land biologist in their county to figure out what they can do to improve their property. Oh, yeah, those, those guys are just a gold mine of information and, of course, knowledgeable as well. And I've, I've talked to so many people over the decades that have used those those guys and just had wonderful 
uh, results. In fact, I've, I've enjoyed all summer here. Through the spring, I, I have access to a 15-acre private lake that I can fish, and the gentleman owns it. He, he doesn't live there. He's a nice cabin there, but he doesn't get there very often, but he worked with MDC this last year in uh, planting uh, a pollinator patch. Now, this wasn't a little thing. This was a strip of land probably, gosh, I want to say 50, 75 yards wide and close to a quarter mile long. It's on top of a ridge and it sloped off right down to that lake. Now, man, the Coreopsis, it looked like a gold mine field, you know, uh, earlier in the spring. Now, the dry weather has hurt it just a little bit, but there's lots of other wildflowers mixed in as well. And I, I'm telling you, now, that made a dramatic difference in the beauty of that land. It's Ozark Hills, you know, in this 15-acre lake set in a, in a big valley there. And it's just a gorgeous setting. And, hey, man, I love that place because it's, uh, uh, there's quite a few wild turkeys there, too. I've killed several in that place over the years, some nice deer. And, you know, I don't own it. I just have access to it. But, uh, hey, I treat that guy pretty good, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just imagine if everybody put in a little pollinator plot, you know, what the benefits would be for native bees and butterflies and, you know, and wildlife in general. I mean, you look at all the insects that are in that pollinator plot, I mean, that's going to be perfect brood habitat for turkeys or quail that might be in the area. Well, uh, it's interesting that you say that because uh, uh, there's been a uh, covey of quail there uh, this spring. They're, of course, paired off and... uh, I hear them almost every time I go in there. But another thing that shocked me, last several times I've gone in there, it's amazing how the deer, the does, are using that plot. Uh, so there's some uh, good food tidbits for them there as well. Plus, it's a new open area. It was just a brush, you know. They clean, cleaned that up and added some new some new plant life, man, and it makes all the difference in the world. And I'm sure, Aaron, you're probably following what uh, Wes and Kendra Swee are doing out at Merrimack Spring Park. You know, uh, I, that's what first brought me brought me to Ozarks. Uh, gosh, uh, back in the early 70s, I was superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park. But we had a lot of ag fields, just hay fields, you know. And uh, Wes Swee is in the process of converting all those ag fields, or most of them, to a pollinator habitat. And, boy, that's all already amazing. I laughed the other day. I follow Wes pretty closely because he posts a lot of stuff on Facebook. And uh, he said, man, they're hearing quail now. And some of the old employees there are telling me that they hadn't heard quail on the place in, you know, 20 years or so. Now, yeah. 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 Yep. So, hey, if you Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, you know, I did my research down there back in the day and, uh, right. you know, really familiar with that area. And, yeah, when I was down there, down at Woodson K Woods and on the adjoining private property, uh, you know, those are all just hay fields and ag fields. And yeah, Wes has done a wonderful job making that uh, better habitat for the wildlife and something for the folks to enjoy there at, at the uh, James Foundation. Yeah, it, and it's, it's going to get uh, better too because uh, it's kind of a long process to convert some of those fields. You know, take two or three, four years to really get to good pollinator habitat. So, but, man, I see the deer and the turkey, and now they're talking about quail. Uh, another plug for Merrimack Spring Park. I just had a uh, good experience there. Wes gave me an invite to come out with grandkids or whatever and actually go glamping. It was my first time to do that. You know, it's permanent. It's a tent on a permanent foundation. They got a picnic table and, and other little facilities. But the grand thing is 
That's not in a regular campground. They got two sites that are very remote in the park. So I encourage people to give those a try because you can get to, uh, hey, to the far reaches of that park and you got it all to yourself, man. Great. Great fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, that brings up a, another thing, Bill. You know, we, we are looking at doing the, some permit price increases. I, I'm sure folks have heard about that. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, including changing the trout tag and the trout limit at the trout parks. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, that's, uh, of course, I'm always all for that. I feel like we got one of the best deals in the country anyway, when it comes to permits. And, and of course, I've been enjoying for a number of years now. I don't have to buy that hunting and fishing license, you know, <laughs> over the age. But, hey, I'm I'm always uh, in favor of that sort of thing because I've, I've looked at those price increases and they're just cents. I thought maybe there'd be, you know, a dollar, two or three added to things, but most of them, are just uh, very very minimal, but yeah, I mean, I mean, gallon of milk doesn't cost the same. A gallon of gasoline, um, oh, you know, the the stuff we do for habitat work doesn't cost the same anymore, and so and you know, we recognize folks pay the sales tax, and that's why we've taken a really modest approach here. I mean, most right. of the resident permit permits are going up fifty cents to a dollar fifty. Non-resident permits, uh, you know, two to ten dollars generally. Uh, some of the commercial permits haven't changed since the 1980s. So it was time to take a look uh, and then find the right balance, recognizing folks are paying the sales tax. Uh, you know, we tried the pilot there at Merrimack for a couple of years with the $5 for five fish. Um, you know, Wes was seeing a decline in anglers there. Folks were complaining about seeing fewer fish. Uh, out of all the trout parks, Merrimack uh, pre-pandemic, through the pilot, um, actually saw a decline in tag sales. So it really didn't, going back to the way it used to be, five, you know, five fish limit, uh, did not necessarily result in, in an increase in anglers. We saw fewer permits sold and people were con- concerned with that. So what we're proposing is simplifying the regulation and going to a, a four fish limit and $5 for all the, uh, the the, uh, the the for the daily trout tag, uh, you know we we do have Bennett Springs down right now, so we are having to buy some fish. Mm. And so, it, you know, you're a businessman, Bill. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we we are buying trout for three dollars and seventy five cents. So if if the trout cost us three dollars and seventy five cents, and your daily limit is four. You know, that's not a very healthy mo- a business model on our side. We're losing quite a bit of revenue there as a, as a result. So, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and trout are just expensive little critters to raise, too. Oh, that they are. But the thing is, uh, hey, who can complain about five bucks for four trout? And that's just a fish, you know. I'm, I, I still, every time I walk into uh, one of these state parks and the trout fisheries or a lot of other places, you know, not not too many people are tuned to the thinking about trespass fees. You know, and essentially that's that's what it is. And lots of other states, you know, you may pay dearly to get into some areas like that. But we're, we're so blessed here in the state of Missouri. But I like to say that, hey, we created a lot of those blessings our forefathers you know had the foresight enough man to create the conservation commission way back there in 1936 and that's you know 
there's still lots of folks around that were born in that time period, you know, and it's just amazing what they've seen in their lifetime. I was born 49. It's amazing what I've seen in my lifetime and uh, give so much of that credit to the citizens of Missouri and the cooperation with the Missouri Department of Conservation. So five bucks for four trout. I'd be happy to pay it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, Bill. <laughs> well, I'm sure lots of people do. Aaron, man, it's been great to have you on the program again. Don't be a stranger. Anytime you got something serious to talk about, you know, we'd be glad to have you. Hey, and I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I, I hope I get a bear tag and an elk tag both. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck on that, Bill. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I know you're a busy man. Got lots of things to do. Keep doing great things for us in the Capitol there. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Bill. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Folks, stick around. We've got more great information coming up right here on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. Hi, this is Nick Darling with the Conservation Federation of Missouri. Our mission at CFM is to ensure conservation of Missouri's wildlife and natural resources and preservation of our state's rich outdoor heritage through advocacy, education, and partnerships. Part of our education mission involves our Conservation Leadership Corps a youth education program for students in college and high school. Our CLC is a great opportunity for students passionate about the outdoors to become more involved in the management of Missouri's natural resources. Deadline to apply will close at the end of April, so don't wait to get your application in. You can visit confedmo.org slash CLC to apply for our program, or you can also email me at ndarling at confedmo.org learn more information about the program. Hi folks, it's Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation with a little habitat hint here. Uh, no surprise, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty severe drought across most of mid-Missouri. Uh, encourage folks to take a look at diversifying their grazing systems. Uh, right now, the department, NRCS, and other partners do have cost share available for the establishment of native form season grasses for grazing and haying purposes. What a great program. What a wonderful way of diversifying your grazing system and actually having a drought-tolerant productive grass in the months of June, July, and August. If you're looking for more information, would encourage you to go to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website at mdc.mo.gov. And in the upper right-hand corner is contacts. Go to your county and find your private land conservationist for your county uh, to set up a meeting to look at ways that you can improve your property, not only for wildlife, but also forage production for your cattle. Steve Stoltz is a world-class turkey hunter. Here's this week's turkey hunting tip. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Woodhaven Custom Calls, Mafio Camouflage, and Drury Outdoors. My turkey hunting tip for the week is actually working on soft calling. Incorporate and work on your soft stuff. In my opinion, soft calling is the deal stealer when it comes to working in a turkey. The reason why? Because they know good and well those low soft sounds 
are what turkeys do the most. So it's going to sound more real to them when they get in close and they hear the softer calling. Plus, it kind of puts that guesswork into where maybe they think you're a little further away than you really are, bring him in, bringing him in closer for the shot. And I'll give you an example of working on soft calling. Um, a few tips ago, I did some loud calling, some loud yelping. I'm going to do it again. This is my, uh, this is from Woodhaven Custom Calls. This is my modified cutter. It's in our mouth call line. But I'm going to do some yelp, some regular yelping. I'll give you an example about toning it down and learning the softer stuff. This is the louder yelping. There's a time and place for that calling, especially when they're further away. But when they get in closer, tone that calling down like this. You incorporate more soft stuff in your calling, you will have better success in sealing a deal when that gobbler does commit to your location. It will bring them in that last 20, 30, 50 yards, whatever you need to get the kill. That's my turkey tip for the week. I'm Steve Stoltz. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. On this segment, we're going to do an agent spotlight. We like to do that once in a while just to let you know who some of the agents are out there helping you out with farms, ranches, and uh, my favorite, outdoor recreation properties. Sitting here in front of me is Jeff Murphy. We've met a couple of times, but he's a land specialist, been with Living the Dream Outdoors uh, properties for seven years, Jeff? That's correct, sir. Hey, and you've stayed seven years. You must be... Living a dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say, right? That's exactly what they say, man. It's it's not land. It's a lifestyle. That's exactly right. Well, you've got quite a history, Jeff. We sat here visiting, and uh, I didn't realize that you had a baseball background. I did. I did. I, uh, I had 20 years with the St. Louis Cardinals, three years with the Houston Astros in professional baseball. Played. Uh, for five years, minor leagues had, uh, you know, some injuries. And then uh, LaRusse asked me to join his coaching staff back in middle of 97. And I said, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, I would too. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a dream job. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, it was uh, – it afforded me a lot of things, uh, a lot of family time, but also took away a lot of family time, you know. When you're gone from February to October every yeah. year, uh, it's tough. But um, it also gave me the winners to, you know, have some fun with the kids and hunt and everything else and uh, just be able to be there full time. Absolutely. But, hey, any great job you got to make sacrifices for. You know, I think we all understand that. But uh, what a what a career, man, 20-something years in professional baseball. Hey, who, who are some of your favorite players that you remember from those times? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Probably a ton of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Willie McGee. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, my one of my last spring trainings as a player, um, I got uh, – was playing an exhibition game in Memphis. 
and uh, Willie McGee drove me in um, from second base. Um, you know, I've just I came up and signed and played with Matt Morris and Alan Bennis and you know just so many guys. We never had uh, a bad apple in the bunch to to say. And I, and I and I'm being sincere when I say yeah, that, that's was, quite a statement. It was um, it was it was a brotherhood. It was a family in that clubhouse. Uh, you know, and you and you think that you're going to have a lot of uh, personalities that don't mix, but you know when you're together year round and everything else, and you're in and out, and you're traveling, and um, you know, you have no choice but to get along. Oh, I'd say that's absolutely true in a team situation. You know, if if you've got conflict going on, it's going to show up on the field. Exactly, because your your one common goal is to win the World Series. Exactly, and, and that's and that's everybody's goal. It's not you're not there for personal stats. You're not going to win you championships. Uh, team stats are going to win you championships. And when you've got five starters, uh, relievers in the bullpen, ERA is down, you know, and people are clicking up and down the lineup, um, you're not going to have anybody really worried about this and that. And if they are, um, players police themselves. So that was a good thing, you know, and, and that's, I think that's what uh, sports is missing a lot of now. I, I really do. Uh, I'm an old school mindset. Hey, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I'm a lot older than you. I'm old enough to be your your father. I'm back from the Stan Musial days. And all, all that. Understood. Understood. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. <laughs> You'd lose. But, but it's just fascinating to run across somebody that's had a career in baseball. Because you know yourself, uh, boy, kids back in the day, uh, of course. I was reared in southeast Missouri, and we lived to play baseball in the summertime. You know, I went to a little country school and then a small high school, and I was a catcher, man. I, that's where the action was. Somebody wasn't hitting you with a bat, you know, the umpires running over you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was a catcher, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, you know, that's what, that's what I got to do on LaRusse's staff. I was the catching instructor. Uh, and I also awesome. caught in the bullpen yeah. and got to, you know, see the pitchers. I am really envious now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I loved it. Um, and I would never change a thing. Oh, absolutely not. It, of course, ever boy that ever played high school ball would have dreamed of being exactly where you got to be, you know. But you know what? The sport is great at any level. It's T-ball, Little League, high school, whatever. We all have our great stories to tell, you know, and the funny things that happen. And uh, I shouldn't even tell this probably on the podcast, but <laughs> I had a tremendous pitcher our, our senior year, great fastball, you know. And I, I had some toe troubles. I had a big toe joint, right foot that got injured in football and bothered me a little bit. This big kid fouled the ball off, hit me right in that big toe, you know, joint. And I'm rolling around on the ground, you know, and the ref runs up. What's wrong? What's wrong? You know, he hurt my big toe. Oh, you want me to kiss it, you know? <laughs> that, sort, that sort of thing. It just didn't set real with me, so I kind of hobbled out towards the pitcher's mound. He met me halfway, and I said, can you throw your hardest fastball? You think you can hit him right in the face mask? He said, yeah, I could do that. I said, well, I, I, I'm probably going to slip and sit down on this pitch. He ran back and threw that baseball. It hit that guy right 
between the eyes, you know. Yep. Knocked him right flat on his back, and oh, the crowd just roared laughing, you know. And uh, I thought, well, I'll probably get to set the rest of the ball game on the bench. Uh, that umpire didn't remember anything after he got <laughs> nah, in. Nah, he got up and dusted himself off and uh, never said a word. But, hey, great memories, though, you That's know. That's right. Well, Jeff, i got to ask you, you know, lots of discipline you've had in your life then with the baseball and the training, the travel, all that sort of thing. And then you made a transformation somewhere along the line and went to work for Living the Dream Outdoors Properties. Do you find that any of that discipline or whatever transferred from, you know, the sports arena over into your uh, job as a land specialist with Living the Dream? You certainly got a work ethic. Absolutely. Um but I think, you know, that, that goes hand in hand with anything that you do. Um, you're not going to get anything out of it if you don't put anything into it. Well, I like simple. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of um, what kind of expectations do you have for yourself? Um, what do you uh, think of yourself? And giving an honest evaluation of your efforts. Because the only person that truly knows how hard you work is you yourself. And, and if you are a good self-evaluator and you can be honest with you and say, you know what, you did really good this week. And then you look back and then you say, but you know what, for the month, you did really good for one week. For three weeks, you slacked. Mm-hmm. Um, you pick it up. Um, because numbers, numbers don't tell everything. They, they, are, they sometimes give a false positive, and that's where people start to look at the numbers and they fall back on them. Uh-huh. And uh, it's kind of like hitters in baseball, you know. A guy might be hitting 330, but if he's getting jammed all the time or he's not doing a good job or he's getting bloops, that's one thing. I'll tell you one way to – I always look at something is – and I was told by an old-timer in baseball <laughs> that you um, – will truly check and know how a player performs when they are up by four runs, down by four runs, or tie ball game. If they're getting their numbers when they're up by four or down by four, there's no pressure. So they're, they're relaxed and they can handle things. But if they can't be relaxed and perform and deal with the pressure of a tie ball game, one run game, then – you know that I may have to hit for them in the lineup or as a pitcher, I may have to not use them in this situation. Even though their numbers tell you he's, a, he's got a .8 ERA, he's getting, those, he's getting those good games when there's nothing on the line type thing. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of that boy floats right over into this business with the living the Dream Outdoor Properties folks. Well, just for our listeners out there, uh, I get gouged sometimes, you know. I like to talk about hunting and fishing and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff, you know. And people sometimes run into them in a cafe or on the street, you know. Tell us tell us some more about some of those great properties that are for sale out there. So, Have oh you got goodness. some great properties you'd like to maybe tell us a little bit about? I just I just listed 140 acres up in Pike County, Missouri. Pike County. That, uh, yeah, Pike County resonates in a lot of people's minds when they just hear Pike County. Right. Um, you know, and this property has been owned. Um, it's been owned since 2007 by a, by a friend of mine, and it has produced trophy whitetails Absolutely. every year. Um, 
and you can set your watch by the turkeys all spring oh. long. Oh. Uh, I mean, if you if your watch is off, you can set it by them. <laughs> uh, it, and it and it, it it's it's got tillable ground. Uh, it's got wooded ground. It's got a wet weather creeks. It's got some water ponds on there from when it used to be a cattle place. Um, so it's a really pretty piece that um, just. I mean, really, uh, is a hunter's dream, and it's got a little, it's got a little shed on it, a thirty by forty uh, metal building with a, with a uh, lean to to it that is very comfortable for that weekend warrior. Oh, uh, sound like a great place. Yeah, it it really is a pretty place. I got another one out in Holt Summit that's uh, only twenty acres, but if you look at the trophies the owner has killed off of his twenty acres. <laughs> Uh, he, he must be doing something right, right? He can't get he's and he even admits he goes, I don't know what it is and what the draw is. He goes, but if they're 170 inches, they're on here, and they and they come through every stinking fall. Wow. Um, so he's uh, and he's got some buttes out there, and that's in Holt Summit. That's not um, that far away from here. No, I mean there's there's some really pretty properties. I'm actually getting ready to uh, head down to Dent County in Salem. And uh, go list 150 acres down there. Um, I just stopped in the office to do something, check with Daryl, and then I got, I got wrangled into this. <laughs> we'll teach you. <laughs> but, hey, Dent County, getting down to Current River Country, that's God's country. I've been all over that that part of the world, man. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing sitting here. I don't know how I let Daryl talk me into this. Just so much fun, I guess. He, he just shoved me in the office, gave me a microphone. He said, Cooper can talk, so turn him loose. And what's fun, but I get to meet people like you, outdoorsmen from all over the country. Uh, wow, all the way from Alaska to the Yucatan, in, in fact. A little Southeast Asia mixed in there, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that was a little different. I'll tell you some stories. On the side sometime. Right on. But, hey, Jeff, man, great to have you on the program. And, uh, folks, uh, from Jeff Murphy and myself, Bill Cooper, we're living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to get outdoors and live your outdoor dreams as well. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed and had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, 
and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at bassandbaskets.com. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.